Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you on a Saturday, March 30th. It is a beautiful day in our nation's capital. There are 353 Division I men's basketball teams. 68 make the NCAA tournament. Eight are left. And guys, you know what? Duke is still one of them. Uh, I am your host this week, Don Wine. Uh, like I said, in, in our nation's capital, fresh off watching the game last night. Also here in Washington, D.C., though not on my couch as he has been for previous episodes, uh, Sam Klein. Uh, Sam, how are you this morning? You know what? All things considered, I'm pretty good. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I, uh, we, we were out a little late last night. It's kind of early on Saturday, but uh, we have to power through. Uh, we have to power through for the people. Exactly. So that's what I'm here yeah. doing. It was a fun night last night, too. Uh, we missed you, uh, Jason, in Atlanta. Uh, Jason, how'd you celebrate? Uh, so I had a great time. There were about five or six uh, other Duke fans. We all got together in one guy's um, uh, viewing room, and uh, there were many high fives, many, many high fives, and lots of tension, by the way. there. Uh, I was I was seated next to a guy on the couch um, who's a friend of mine, and he he stood up for – I noticed he was standing up for the entire game. I was like – God, it's like he thinks he's at Cameron. And then I, I turned around and I realized I also was standing up. I couldn't sit down. I was so tense during that game. It, it was it. There was a couple of moments there that made you uh, probably made you pace and around the around the room or or around the gym um, wherever you were. But uh, uh, it, it was a definitely definite definite great game. Um, before we get into it, let's thank our sponsors first off. Uh, Bird Campbell, those guys uh, with the business law firm, Bird Campbell PA. Bird Campbell means business and also GTHCGTH.com where you can get all your go to hell Carolina gear useful last night. Uh, GTHCGTH.com. Okay, guys, let's get into it. Um, last night, Donald, Duke, Donald, promo code, promo code. They, they, uh, if you go to GTHCGTH.com and you use the promo code DBR, you get 20%. So yeah, I was that. going to do that in in the in the later one, but yes, DBR twenty uh, percent <laughs> off at gthcgth.com. You could do that for as long as it takes uh, before that code runs out. It's still running, so uh, thanks to Kenny Denard and those guys uh, at gthcgth.com for that. Okay, now getting into the game, uh, Sweet Sixteen, Virginia Tech taking on Duke at Capital One Arena in Washington D.C. Final score: Duke seventy five. Virginia Tech seventy three, guys. Another heart, another another heart stopper with a, with a layup going off the rim at the last second. But there's a lot to talk about with this game. And Jason, I'm going to start with you, I, and I'm going to direct you with this one because I need you to talk about how well Trey Jones played last night. Oh boy, was Trey. So <laughs> I'll give you the first number. I, I I spent. You guys were out partying after the game. Um, I, I was very dutiful and. I spent a couple hours pouring over different statistics and, and analysis of the game. I'll give you my first stat of the day. Um, so Trey Jones made five three-pointers in that game. He, he has made a total of five three-pointers in Duke's last five games. 22 points, eight assists, zero turnovers. What a game by our point guard. And by the way, I'll point something else out. I mean, people have talked all year about Duke's struggles from three. Um, and it was easy to think, no, Duke didn't struggle from three last night because Trey had five of seven three-pointers for us. The rest of the team, players not named Trey Jones, were one of 13 from three. So Duke struggled 
but Trey Jones did not. And that is one of the big reasons why we have advanced, why we have survived and advanced. I actually think the biggest moments of the game were a pair of back-to-back plays by Trey. The first was when he buried his three-pointer, the fifth three-pointer of the night. Um, with uh, It was like five or six minutes to go in the game. Um, and, and then on the very next possession, it looked like he was about to take another three. And you saw the defense adjust toward him. Virginia Tech had decided Trey Jones is not going to beat us from the perimeter anymore. And as they came toward him, he ducked between a couple players and dumped the ball into Zion Williamson. And there was a little crease as a result of the defense adjusting to Trey. And that crease allowed Zion to go up and, and, and get another one of his slam dunks. And, and that play, those back-to-back plays, the three-pointer and then Zion cutting through there, gave Duke a 73 to 66 lead with three minutes left. It had been 68 to 66. And then after those two plays, it's 73 to 66, two plays by Trey Jones. Duke only got two more points in the final three minutes, but those plays were what got us to the point where we were able to hold off Virginia Tech down the stretch and win that game. I I thought Trey was truly outstanding in this game. Um, You know, I, I, we, we have struggled with these freshmen with finding, you know, hey, what's their best game? I feel like we saw it probably last night from Trey. I also thought he did an excellent job on defense on, uh, on, on Justin Robinson of Virginia Tech, who, is, who had a great game and, and is an amazing, amazing point guard. Um, I got a lot more, but I, I'm going to send it back over to you after that because I, I want to let you steer the ship, Donald, and, and I'm done with my comments on Trey. Yeah, it, it, everything you said about Trey, you know, was great. I, I especially, you know, when he made key plays in the game, it led to key plays on the offensive, you know, on, on the other end. It fast forward back to uh, our flashback to uh, we're we're at fifty six fifty four. We're we're going on a little run, and Virginia Tech is driving, and they're trying to press a little bit uh, to make a shot. And Trey steals the ball, turns around, runs up the floor, and sees Zion going for all everything and he threw it up there basically threw it up to a point where I don't think I was in the 400 level I don't think I could reach that ball and somehow Zion did and slammed it home 11 feet 8 11 8 ESPN measured it they said Zion reached up to 11 feet 8 inches on that lob yeah but you have to realize that he jumped from about nine feet away and still got that high. <laughs> yeah, he was um, he was at full extension um, for that dunk. It yeah, was, he got know, all like, the way back and then all the way forward. Yeah, uh, and Sam, let me talk to you because on our uh, Trey Jones and 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 Jordan, Jordan Goldwire are obviously key down the stretch on defense. We were missing Cam Reddish, uh, who I guess banged his knee in practice yesterday, and they thought that he'd be able to go today, but uh, the knee did not respond well to treatment, so he had to sit out and it was a last minute adjustment. We haven't had a game that's been healthy in a long time where everybody on the team is, is ready to go. Uh, and and we had to learn how to play very quickly without Cam Reddish. How do you think Alex O'Connell, Jordan Goldwire, Marquise Bolden, Jack White, the bench didn't do as much as we thought, but given what circumstances came about, how do you think they performed last night? Yeah, I was impressed with it. It's not, it's not that Alex O'Connell had such a phenomenal game, but the fact that he was in there for about 20 minutes last night and was holding his own, especially on defense. I think that the Duke was doing their best to contain Virginia Tech's 
really impressive perimeter offense in the first half that that kind of got away from them. But in the second half, it it really uh, Duke, Duke really locked it down and Virginia Tech wasn't making nearly as many of those shots as they were in the first half. And I think that was the that was the key. Um, so O'Connell being able to to come in and not look lost, having to play that that recovery defense was really impressive. I was honestly surprised that we didn't see more of Jordan Goldwire, given his ability to to lock up on the perimeter, uh, so so that was that was kind of surprising. Um, Jack White didn't didn't really play much. Uh, I'm a little concerned at this point about exactly where his confidence is because he was he was a key member of the rotation earlier in the season, and it seems like it's kind of fallen away. Perhaps he's still recovering from that injury, and Coach K just wanted him to get you know a flash of game time before before bringing him back to the bench. And then Marquise Bolden, I thought that the, I thought that the bigs between Bolden and Delorier um, actually had a really strong game. They were trying to contain Kerry Blackshear for Virginia Tech, who's a real force. Um, he's, he's a great shot maker and, and is also great at the free throw line, which is a bummer for Duke. Blackshear had a good game, but Marquise Bolden did his best to kind of contain the interior. You don't have to do much against Virginia Tech because Blackshear is really the only um, interior offensive presence that they have. Everybody else is just trying to run around the perimeter and get those high ball screens and, and make threes. But um, Bolden kind of held his own down low. He played with four fouls for a, for a little chunk there in the second half and got his third foul at the end of the first half. So he was, he was playing with foul trouble uh, basically the entire second half and didn't let it, didn't back down from it, um, had a couple of key blocks and I thought looked very composed uh, throughout the second half last night, Delorier sort of Bolden and Delorier kind of switching off um, really didn't feel like they were lost. I think that um, you know some Duke fans maybe think that you know well Duke doesn't have one starting center and and it, you know they don't have one guy they can turn to. It really is the two guys and they and they provide um, sort of a different defensive look depending on who's out there. And I, I thought that Coach K did a really good job of of switching them at opportune times so that Virginia tech would have to adjust again to, you know, the way that Bolden sort of defends a little more in the post and, and then adjust to, to Laurier being able to, to step out a bit more. I thought that was, um, I thought that would, that was actually good for confusing Virginia tech because they're in the second half. Like I said, they got away from their offense um, that was so successful in the first half, moving the ball around a lot, like, like getting those quick passes around the perimeter to find the open shooter. That was not happening in the second half. And I think that that was the key to Duke being able to, to come back and ultimately take the lead. Bolden so, and Deloria combined for eight points, eight rebounds, two steals, three block shots. Uh, and by the way, Bolden's two free throws were the winning points. Um, I, yeah, I thought the I thought the two of them acquitted themselves well against uh, arguably the you know the best pure post player because I don't think Zion is a pure post player. He, he ventures around the court so much, but Kerry Blackshear I think is is the best pure post player in the ACC. And the the, 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 the thing too. the um the thing that uh, that I thought Duke was going to be missing, knowing that Cam Reddish was out of the game, um, was that. They weren't going to have that perimeter defense, and they they sort of made up for it, and, and it ended up being okay. We knew Virginia Tech was going to take three pointers. That's their game, um, as you said, Jason. Blackshear is going to is going to get the ball down low, but 
overwhelmingly Virginia Tech's offense comes from the three-pointer and Duke was at least able to to stay with them it wasn't like in the first half when Virginia Tech was making those threes that Duke was um, sort of giving up and 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 not able to recover and 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 play the next play they were able to keep up that was what I was worried about with Reddish out because Reddish is such a strong perimeter defender and they were going to need all the help they that they could get last night defending that three-point shot so, Jason, I want to come back to you, uh, and I want to talk about uh, the interesting game that was that was had last night by Rowan Barrett Jr., a.k.a. RJ. Um, seven for 17, he had 18 points, zero for seven from three. You had mentioned the threes, uh, how the rest of the team kind of did not do anything other than Trey Jones. But talk to me about RJ Barrett's game and, and how interesting it was because it seemed like he was all over the place, but he also made an impact with his distribution. Oh, yeah. Uh, 18 points, like you said, 11 assists for RJ. So if you put those number to get numbers together, the 11 assists translates to 22 points. He accounted for 40 of our 75 points, more than half of our points. And and the key was, look, we, we, went, we went to halftime, and RJ had only scored three points in the first half. Now, he had seven assists, but he'd only scored three points. And you could tell he was frustrated. He wasn't he wasn't getting the ball in places where he could impact the game, where he could get in the lane the way he is so amazing at doing. And I'm convinced um, at halftime that Coach K was able to make some adjustments because what RJ did in the first eight minutes of the second half, he absolutely took over the game. Uh, he scored 13 points in eight minutes. That's a crazy number of the second half. The last bucket of that run by him, put Duke in the lead 53 to 52 and we never trailed again after that. I mean, that tells you the impact that RJ Barrett had on the on the on the first half of the second half. Really really great game by him and I I want to give you guys a few stats so you can really appreciate what RJ Barrett is doing this season. Um he 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 has now scored the most points in the season by an ACC freshman ever. He already had that record. He and Zion, um, Zion, by the way, passed Kenny Anderson. Um, and so now he and Zion are number one and number two in um, scoring in a season by an ACC freshman. But to me, the really impressive thing is that if you look at most points, not by a freshman, but by any Duke player in any season, R.J. Barrett is now third. On the list, he's just two points behind Jason Williams in 2001. Jay Will had 841 points. RJ had 839. I think there's a pretty safe bet that in the next game, RJ Barrett will pass Jay Will for the second highest scoring season ever by a Duke player. Now, look, he's not going to catch JJ Reddick's senior year. I'm sure everyone remembers that year. JJ Reddick was, you know, unstoppable. Uh, it's exactly like 40 points a game, it seemed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he scored 964 points. RJ's not going to get there to that That's number. Stupid. That's stupid. That's such, yeah, a, ridiculous that's such a big number. <laughs> it's it's an insane number. But like, game I, remember it, I remember it. It still doesn't mean that I believe it. Yeah. But RJ's going to be, after next game, almost certainly RJ's going to be in the 850s. I, I mean, what a, what a phenomenal, amazing season this guy is having. And, and look, by the way, as long as I'm talking about records, just really quick, another stat um, welcome to the block party, gentlemen. Last night, we passed uh, the 1999 Duke team for the most blocks by a team in ACC history. The old record, 1999 Duke, held the record most blocks, not in Duke history, in ACC history, 
by a team. They had 245. This Duke team is now at 248 and counting. That number will rise. We are great at blocking shots. Our intimidation around the rim is really, really important to this team's identity. And we're a record setter of team in ACC history at blocking shots. It, that, I mean, the block shots came from all over. Uh, there was one particular one, and I'm going to bring in because we haven't talked about Zion enough uh, in those podcasts. Um, I'm going to talk Who? about him because his. Uh, <laughs> did he have. Uh, there was one stretch where he like missed the shot on the other end and was kind of slow getting back, but his slowness getting back led to some like ferocious block um, that it went off oh, the no, backboard. No, uh, Go ahead. Are you talking about the block on, on Justin Robinson? Yes. Oh, oh my God. Uh, so a, a friend of mine texted me. He said, I've never seen someone get their ankles broken and block a shot on the same play. <laughs> Justin Robinson does this. I don't even know how he made that move. This was one of the best. I, I, he like does his hesitation thing. It absolutely, it looked to me like he grabbed the ball with both hands to go up for a shot, but he was still dribbling. I don't know how he made that move. Zion 100% fell for it. And then Justin goes in for a layup and it like, uh, we, we've run out of adjectives for describing what Zion Williamson does, but that block shot was insane. Yeah, it, it was crazy. And it's at such a key moment in the game and their best player there, the guy who runs the show for them um, taking a layup and Zion erased it. Uh, by the way, I, I saw another great stat. Zion is now the first player to get 700 points, 60 steals and 50 blocks. 700 points, 60 steals, 50 blocks. Zion's the first player to do that in college basketball since Kevin Durant. That tells you the level he's playing at. He's and Kevin good. Durant and Kevin Durant was good. He was he, in college. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he did things. <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe I couldn't believe Zion Williamson last night, especially in the second half when he decided to to actually start elevating. Like we said, there was that there was that one breakaway play, um, but he. He was so strong at both ends last night, and um, and like you said, Jason, he can he the the offensive player can get around him, and he's still completely in position um, to to murder them because because he's just he's so good at, at at elevating and so good at timing the jumps. Um, he he knows before anyone else does that he's about to block a shot, um, and. And there's sort of like an anticipation, like, oh, Zion's in the area, like what's going to happen? So that was that was very impressive. Um, and and also that that he stayed composed on the offensive end. Um, the, I, I feel like we have mentioned a little bit that the, the three point shooting by Trey Jones, Zion Williamson uh, was was almost as effective um, moving around with the ball last night and and doing doing all of his little up and under moves and and mm -hmm. getting at the rim, um, just more of the same from what we've seen all year, but but continues to be absolutely stunning. Yeah, he he he's really great at being nimble inside the paint because there will be times where he you know sees a sees like a, a small crease and it's a crease that probably just you know Jordan Goldwire couldn't fit through. But somehow Zion's like quick enough to make it work. Uh, and, and before the defense knows that he's at the rim and nobody and everyone's behind him, uh, he'll either dunk it home or he'll lay it in. And, and that sort of quickness uh, translates on the defensive uh, end as well. Because like you said, that there was one block, he, he there was the Justin Robinson block. There was one where he blocked it out of bounds. And as he did, I was just like, this guy wasn't even nominated for 
defensive player of the year. Like that's like almost a travesty. And I know that Trey Jones has been just as good on defense this year, but like Zion wasn't even nominated. And if he nominated, he probably would have won just because how he changes the game. That, uh, th- that that's dumb that, <laughs> that he didn't get that. The other, the, the thing that's so interesting, or one of the things that's interesting about it is that, um, like you said, Donald, he makes all those plays, uh, but nobody's complaining that, because at the, on, at the same time, no one's complaining that that Zion is like a bull in a china shop, right? He's yeah. he is he's not fouling everybody as he's going to the rim, and I think that um, I think that less nimble players and you know players, especially of his size, but less nimble players are going to get a lot of charge calls, kind of the way that Cam Reddish does um, when he's driving at the hoop. That is that is what's so incredible about Zion is that. No one's saying, oh, well, he's, you know, he's great, but, but he, he just bulldozes his way to the basket. No, 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 no. He tiptoes around mm-hmm. and, and it's very hard to get in front of him because he can get around you. Um, so th- th- yeah, it, uh, still amazing to see. Yeah. Uh, and guys with that win last night, um, Duke has now beaten every team in the ACC this season. So that was the last team we had a loss against in the ACC uh, loss of Venge, guys. Uh, we are moving on to the meeting. This episode of the DBR podcast is brought to you by those fine gentlemen at Bird Campbell, PA. Bird Campbell, a law office uh, in Florida and Texas, all your business law needs, and of course, founded by two Duke class of 1978 graduates. Bird Campbell, find them on the internet, B-Y-R-D-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L.com. Bird Campbell, you know they mean business. This episode of the DBR podcast is also brought by GTHCGTH.com. For all of your go-to-hell Carolina, go-to-hell gear, they have a sale going on, 20% off with the with the code DBR. That will be is for the rest of the season. DBR, if you go to gthcgth.com, you can buy all of your Go to Hell Carolina gear and you can wear it for those pale hosers down the road. Okay, guys, before we look forward to the Elite Eight tomorrow, let's take a look back at the Sweet 16. Uh, Obviously, there were a lot of great games. Uh, We had talked about how the team's at the in the Sweet 16, we're all among the top teams in the country, with the exception of maybe one or two, and it has made for some pretty good games. Uh, and there were some that were kind of not so good. So, Jason, I'll start with you. What games did you see that meant a lot to you? Uh, you could talk about UNC going down. Maybe you want to talk about that. Uh, yeah. So the the I, I think every Duke fan. It's sort of funny as Duke fans. You wanted to, you know, like your obligation was sort of be watching Michigan State, LSU to to scout. Our, our next opponent, provided we got by Virginia Tech, but I'm um, coming. Come on, we were all watching North Carolina and Auburn. Um, a really, really a- a exciting um, matchup with two teams that play at a super fast pace, and uh, it was a very competitive game until Auburn was like, "Nah, we're going to hit a whole whole mess of threes in your face," and Auburn just absolutely blew the doors off of Carolina. Um, uh, it, it really. It looked like seven points. It looked like they were going to hang a honey on uh, Carolina for a, for a little while, which would have been uh, pretty special. Um, uh, I, there were so many articles. I must have seen four or five of them about, oh, my gosh, Duke and Carolina are set up to play in the championship. 
basketball Armageddon. These these articles talked about. I agree. It would have been. I, I know. I know no Duke fans, no Carolina fans who are looking forward to playing each other in the national championship game. It didn't happen because Auburn took out Carolina um, pretty convincingly. It, it sets up in that Midwest bracket a a matchup of SEC teams, Auburn and Kentucky. The last time they played, Kentucky beat the pants off of Auburn, beat them by 20-something points. Auburn hasn't lost since then. Now, Auburn lost their best player against Carolina, uh, like Chamika Okiki, or I, I can't I don't pronounce his name. He's their center, um, but he's more than a center. He plays inside and out, really versatile player for them, outstanding player. And he, it looked to me like he tore his ACL. We don't know yet, but he has, he clearly has some pretty bad soft tissue damage around his knee. There's absolutely no way to imagine that he's going to play against Kentucky. And so that could have a really big impact on, on that final in the Midwest. Uh, and, and then the other two brackets um, are, are pretty close to what I predicted. I, I think a lot of other people predicted it as well. I, I, I actually like Virginia Tech against Gonzaga. Uh, Virginia Tech played amazing defense against Michigan the other night. Texas Tech. Um, Texas Tech? Virginia Tech. Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Oh, my Texas goodness. Tech. Texas Tech. That's what I'm saying. I picked them in the Final Four. If you check the Final Four, I've got Texas Tech in the Final Four. Hey, That's so do I. I. No way. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got I've got a Final Four of all teams that uh, – and this is what I had from the start. All teams that Duke has played um, uh, this year uh, played and beaten. Um, Duke, Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kentucky is my final four. That's what it's been from the start. Wait, really? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, damn. I have the same one. I nice picks. Very nice <laughs> picks. <laughs> I wish, 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 yeah, wish we had some difference of opinion around here. Yeah, yeah, but- I, I have a very different opinion because um, I have one final four team left. They well, won. Wait, hey, hey, in the Elite Eight, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting thing about the Elite Eight, which is ESPN reseeded all the teams in the Elite Eight. Even though Duke has been winning these games at the buzzer, you know, with balls rolling off the rim twice in a row, ESPN still says Duke is the number one overall seed of the eight teams remaining. Do you know who the eighth team is? The team ESPN thinks is the worst team or the team playing the worst left in the tournament? They say it's Virginia. They have Virginia as the eighth best team left of the eight teams here. And and I'm really intrigued, really looking forward to the Virginia-Purdue game today. Uh, man, Purdue just shot out of their minds to beat Tennessee uh, the other day in, in what may have been the best game of the uh, of the Sweet 16. Went no, to that, was, that, 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 that was the best game. <laughs> like, yeah. Klein, was, the- Klein was unconscious for like yeah. – Ten minutes <laughs> uh, for the but, for the for the first forty minutes of that game, it was it was unreal. And the yeah. at the at the very end, when um, I don't remember who the Purdue player was who had the had to make two of the three shots to send it to overtime. Carson foul shots. Yeah, it was to, Carson Edwards uh, to send you know, it to overtime. All American. When he when he missed the first one, and so he had two shots left, and he had to make both of them. Like I I was watching the game and I was nervous. Like I I couldn't. <laughs> I, I like couldn't handle myself. I, I, I can't imagine being a Purdue fan in that moment. And he's an 85% free throw shooter. 85% step. He missed, he missed the first he one. He missed the first. Like, oh, no. oh my God. But so he was bad. like, I mean, the thing about that game was Purdue, like in regulation, they shot 25% from the free throw line. So like, it wasn't just him. Like he, I think he was like two for six before he had that, uh, those three shots um, from the line. But like guys who were normally 80, 85% free throw shooters for them, were missing terribly, and that is why that game was so close and how Tennessee got all the way back into it. All three of Purdue, Tennessee, and Auburn were horrible, like epically horrible on free throws. 
in the Sweet 16. Uh, it was uh, it was crazy. It, it, the fact that Purdue and Auburn both won shooting free throws as bad as they did, I mean, uh, it's of course because both of those teams were unconscious from three. But wow, it was uh, it's some some of the worst free throw shooting I've ever seen. Jason, uh, I I wanted to come back to something you were whining about a little while ago. Are you still upset that that Duke ended up with Virginia Tech in their bracket and UNC ended up with whoever it is they ended up with in their bracket um, after the after the selection show? Yeah, I am. I mean, regardless of the results of the games, um, I, I still I don't like seeing conference opponents playing each other early. I, I just I think the NCAA tournament is about a broad field. And look, I don't like the fact that Auburn and Kentucky are playing for the Midwest final, but you can't really avoid that. I mean, there are too many teams from each con- from the power conferences to to be able to say, oh, they're not going to play in the in the in the grade eight. If you get to the grade eight, you know. Th- that's life. You're you're there, and and who you're facing is who you're facing. And if it's a conference opponent, that's what it, that's what it has to be. But uh, I, I I still, regardless of the fact that Auburn blew Carolina's doors off, I think that Duke. If we'd played Auburn, we would have beaten them. We would not have let them get the threes that that Carolina did. We already played Auburn earlier in the year, and we beat them. Actually, I mean, not super easy, but not super difficult. Yeah, that was like to that point. That was the toughest game that that Duke had played, um, and they. Well, and, and they were feeling it the next night. Was it their fourth game? Was it right. something like their uh, But they were, they were feeling it the next night because, they had, remember, they had to play Gonzaga the next night, and that was, oh, that yeah. was Duke's remaining Duke's only loss uh, at full strength. Uh, not that Duke's been full strength for a good chunk of the season, but, but I think I, I, don't, I'm, I don't think we'll be full strength again. I, like crazy. I, I, wanted to come back, I wanted to come back to Texas Tech and what a performance they put on against Michigan. We obviously saw them. Wait, 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 wait. In the second half, because that first half, bro. Yeah, that was trash. Um, don't we don't want to? Re- I, I I was texting. That was the with worst friends. basketball I've ever watched. I was I was texting with some friends about uh, Texas Tech Michigan, and I was like, I was like, oh man, this game is this game is some hot garbage. Let me let me go see what else is. Oh, it's a it's a Virginia game. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there was there was there was no sanctuary for uh, fans of offensive basketball. Uh, I was for, saying I was saying for, Sam. Um, for that NC State was like reapplying for entry into the NCAA yeah, tournament. NC State was like, hold up, hold up, hold <laughs> up. Yeah, hold <laughs> up. You didn't let us down. in? Really? <laughs> Have you seen Michigan? Um, but in the in the second it half. For, it, wait, hey, it looked for a while like those two teams wouldn't combine for the 24 points exactly. in the court. Yeah. <laughs> and Michigan Michigan was like flirting with not getting to 40. They were, they were averaging less than a point per minute until about like five minutes left in the game. So – um, but but the way that Texas Tech just just totally suffocated Michigan, forced them in the bad shots. We saw Texas Tech obviously earlier in the season when Duke played them in Madison Square Garden, and we know um, how how suffering their their defense is. They they really turned it on against Michigan and and let that defense turn into into transition baskets. So Texas Tech was just was just winning going away. Um, that was that was one of the most impressive performances that I saw. And yeah, that, that Purdue Tennessee game was a lot of fun. Um, Virginia was in a tighter game against Oregon than I expected. I guess I, I just wrote off the PAC 12 like two months ago and decided that none of their teams are real. So, um, so it was interesting that, that Virginia sort of, sort of let Oregon hang around Oregon that, that is, is a talented team. If not, um, even though they didn't quite live up, fully to expectations like throughout the season um they do have a lot they, of talent, they are so. they are a classic some of the parts is not greater than the individuals or that that's that oregon team i think in a very big way I, last thought i have on on the other teams playing 
uh, and it, Sam, it's a sort of what you were talking about a little bit, conflicting styles. I just think it's amazing to look at the fact that Tennessee scored 94 points and lost, and Texas Tech scored 63 points and won by 20. Tennessee yeah. scored 31 more points than Texas Tech and lost. Texas Tech <laughs> won by 20 points when they only scored 63. How does that even happen? Yeah, that it, 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 it was it, it was incredible, and they and they they didn't have to score at the end of the game. You know, like they they no. kept scoring at the end of the game, but they could have just shut it down with about with about eight minutes left and been like, all right, whatever. So today we have uh, Virginia versus is it Virginia Purdue and Gonzaga Texas yeah. Tech. That's right. Uh, and, and when we're looking at those games, what you know, what are you what are you looking for? Last, I just want to give you quick uh, quick predictions for the games today. We will we'll talk about the games tomorrow in a minute. Hey, no, 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 no. Donald, you should do the prediction. Sam and I already have. Our final fours are still – I'm not going away from my final fours. Sam, are you? Yeah. No, no, no. I, no. Mean, I, I, I have, I have Virginia and Texas Tech today. Okay. Yeah, well, um, me too. The, 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 okay, so, so fine. So fine. The thing that I want to see Texas Tech um, – the thing that I want to see Texas Tech do today is contain all of those huge Gonzaga players because Gonzaga's obviously got uh, a number of – of offensive threats and they, as we, we remember from, from seeing them in Maui um, that offense works just about as well as anybody else's. Um, They're able to move the ball around. They Hachimura, as you guys remember uh, is able to do a lot, both inside and outside. They've got uh, Brandon Clark um, who's able to score all over the place. Gonzaga has a lot of different ways that they can shut you down. So I am uh, curious to see Texas tech, um, the way that they they match up with Gonzaga and sort of go after them on on the defensive end, and then and then Virginia has to has to slow down Purdue. Um, it's sort of the same. It, it's kind of the same challenge. Virginia obviously loves to to play slow. Purdue we know can can run around. Um, so conflicting styles, I think, in in both of these games, and and perhaps you'll see that um, style sort of sort of dictates the way that the game will go. I think Virginia is going to need to score. 65 70 points to win the game today uh against purdue i think that is going to be their challenge because i think purdue like you said can can run and they can score um we, we've seen that already so they scored 17 points they, in that overtime game and overtime and look uh, they produce purdue he doesn't spell he doesn't spell it correctly but they do have a, a dude named klein who can really light it up yes so, they do um <laughs> you gotta and, you gotta look out for that and one last note for me about brackets i know your guys brackets are looking pretty good and mine to the untrained eye may suck because only Duke is left. But as long as Duke is playing, my bracket never sucks. Look, I don't, I don't really care. All right, I, I would <laughs> rather just have Duke win the championship. That's that is priority number one. That's yeah, priority I, one, two, and twelve. Yeah, and and Donald, you said you only have one team alive. Exactly. That's the only thing that matters. Last thing I'll say: Do you guys know that after Carolina beat Duke, um, what was it on March 9th? Uh, in the regular season finale, that they brought out ladders and they cut down the nets for the ACC regular season title. I, I at the time I was like, really? Are you? I mean, th- this is not something that the unbalanced schedule makes the regular season title a meaningless thing. The ACC does not recognize it. It is meaningless. No, 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 no. It's- ACC re- the ACC recognizes the regular season championship, but the ACC championship. Just that is the it's still just champion. The, is just the the tournament champion. So, exactly, but, um, but but I just want to finish, finish making your very elegant point, though. I was just going to say, I I do think it's nice that North Carolina got to experience what it's like to cut down nets. I mean, it's the only time they will get to do it all year. Wow, he got did him. it. He went there. Yeah. Yikes! Yikes!
All right, Donald, tell us about the end of the of, of what's going to happen in the Sweet 16. Oh, it, or in the in the Elite Eight, rather. Yeah, I said I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Purdue today against Virginia because I I think Purdue's going to score more than 70 points. And on the other side, yeah, give me Texas Tech, but Gonzaga has looked pretty good. That's going to be the game of the day, obviously, uh, between the two games. So I'm really looking forward to watching those. But let's fast forward to tomorrow and the big Elite Eight matchup between Duke and Michigan State. Uh, guys, we've seen Michigan State play a lot. Uh, we've played Michigan State a lot over the years. We, You know, the, the whole uh, thing of Coach K only losing once to Tom Mizzo. Um, and, but obviously this is a different year, different team, different set of circumstances and a birth in the final four on the line. So Sam, let me start with you, you know, obviously take, take what you've seen from Michigan state last night, take what you've seen from them all season. What do we need to do to beat the Spartans? I mean, Michigan state is a, is a really good all around team. Um, the, they, they've been kind of right at the top of the big 10 for, for most of the season. Um, they're able to score. Uh, both inside and out, and uh, I think Duke has seen most of the most of these Michigan State players. Duke saw them last year in the Champions Classic, um, so I got to I got to get in. I got into the arena last night, like basically at halftime of the of the Michigan LSU game. So I only saw the bit where Michigan was was running away from LSU. Um, I, I think it's a little hard to to take away from that game, just because I think LSU was sort of. Uh, their luck was going to run out at some point. They were obviously, you know, playing shorthanded, and and um, and that sort of played into Michigan State's um, right into Michigan State's hands. So um, the, the the thing that I think is important for Duke against Michigan State is um, is locking it up on on defense. Duke was able to contain Virginia Tech enough from playing their game the other night that. Um, that they were sort of able to dictate what was going on in the second half. Um, I want to see Duke contain Michigan state's perimeter guys uh, in, in that same way. But I, I think, I think Jason's got um, a little bit more on the, on the stat side uh, for what Duke needs to do against Michigan state. Is that right, Jason? I do. I do. And I, I'm going to start by talking about what Duke did to win against Virginia tech. Duke hit 55% of their field goals in the game against Virginia tech but that was mostly because what we did from two-point range, we hit 70%, 69.4% of our two-point shots against Virginia Tech. In the second half, in the second half against Virginia Tech, Duke was 15 of 20 on two-point shots, 75%. That's insane. So why am I talking about that as we go into the game against Michigan State? This game against Michigan State is a case of immovable object versus irresistible force. Michigan State is second in the country the second best of 353 teams, second best team in the country at two-point field goal defense. Teams only hit 41% of their two-point field goals against Michigan State because Michigan State is one of the best teams in the country at blocking two-point shots, at blocking shots. Duke, on the other hand, is the fourth best team in the country at hitting two-point shots. We hit 58%. Michigan State only gives up 41%. Well, we live by the two. They live by stopping the two. This is what Duke does best against what Michigan State does best. It's going to be so fascinating to see which team is able to impose their will in that key area of the game. And on offense, the, the, the thing about Michigan State is everything they do 
comes out of Cassius Winston. This is the team that is number one in the country in assist rate. That means the percentage of their baskets that they get off of assists, number one. No one does it better than Michigan State, and that's all because of Cassius Winston. He averages seven and a half assists a game. He assists on 45% of their baskets that, that he doesn't make himself. 45%. He ju- In this past game, he has now passed Magic Johnson and Mateen Cleaves for the most assists in a single season in Michigan State history. Magic Johnson and Mateen Cleaves, both those guys were point guards on national title teams for Michigan State. That's the kind of season that Cassius Winston is having. By the way, he hits 40% of his threes. He hits 85% of his free throws. And if you think those numbers are high, they're actually way down from last year. Last year, he hit almost 50% of his threes and 90% of his free throws. He is, you know, all due respect to the great play we've seen out of Trey Jones and a lot of other really good point guards in college. Jay Morant, these guys who are great point guards. Cassius Winston is probably the best point guard in college basketball right now. And not the guy with the most NBA potential. I'm not saying this guy who's going to go on and be an NBA All Star. Um, he's probably not even. Gonna, he may not even be a first rounder. But Cassius Winston is the best college point guard around right now, and it is going to be so fascinating to see Trey Jones, a great perimeter defender, matched up against Cassius Winston, who's the machine that makes everything that they do go. And then the other thing I want to talk about really quickly, um, because you have to talk about it every game, how does Zion Williamson? Be, how do they contain the, the force that is Zion Williamson? And uh, they are really uniquely situated, I think, Michigan State, to match up with Zion because they've got two guys. Most teams don't have anyone who has the size and strength to play against Zion. Michigan State actually has two of them. Nick Ward, we've heard about over the years. I mean, this guy is a load. He is a very big player, uh, you know, not very, not super mobile, but but he's a guy, he's crafty in the post. But he's not even starting for them this year because about uh, two-thirds of the way through the season, Nick Ward got hurt. And they have a freshman named Xavier Tillman who is 6'8", 260. That's Zion size. And when Nick Ward got hurt, Xavier Tillman moved into the starting lineup, and he has been playing great basketball since then. Um, he's been like close to averaging a double-double since he moved in the starting lineup. And between Ward and Tillman, they've got two guys who may – hope to be able to contain Zion one-on-one. At least they won't be thrown aside by Zion. He won't be able to to just push them uh, you know, away with ease. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Michigan State tries to defend Zion. The past couple rounds, we've seen teams that you know double, triple, heck, I think even quadruple teamed Zion at times. And Zion did a great job of finding open guys um, on the perimeter at, when he was getting triple teamed against Virginia Tech. I, I don't know that Michigan State, they may tr- at least initially see what happens if if they you know only single or double team him because that's how good Xavier Tillman and Nick Ward are um, uh, you know in terms of interior defense. That's what I got in this game. Donald, back to you. Yeah, so I, I've watched a lot of Michigan State this year, obviously. <clears throat> and when it comes to the one thing that you guys didn't touch on that I'll touch on is the rebounding. Um, every single year, if you ask someone what is the definition of a Michigan State team led by Tom Izzo, it's rebounding. That's what they pride themselves on. That's what they love to do. And they have a lot of guys who can rebound really, really well. Kenny Goins averages nine rebounds a game, and he's not their best post guy by any stretch. So uh, they have a lot of guys who can rebound. That is going to be 
are key to this game because if we keep them off the glass, they don't have the opportunity to do a lot with the ball, especially a lot of times they don't like to, you know, go in transition as fast as we do. But with Cassius Winston on the ball, and as you said, Jason, like I don't think it's a diss to anybody to call him the best point guard in, the, in, in college basketball. I don't think that's a diss at all because that speaks to how good Cassius Winston is with the ball on his hand at his hands. So if they're getting rebounds and they're giving the ball to him and watching him go, you know, go and, and, and spread the floor, they pass the ball around very well uh, and, and get open looks. That's what they did last night against LSU. It all starts from the rebounding. Everything, their whole energy starts from the rebounding. So if we can keep them off of the glass and win that battle, that is going to be how we beat Michigan State once again and go return to the Final Four. So uh, it's going to be a great game. I I think, honestly, it it might be the best game uh, of the Elite Eight because these two teams match up so well, um, and and these two teams are both very strong. Um, One of them's got to go, and this is how rebounding is going to be the key to determine who makes the trip to Minneapolis. Hey, I, I want to see if, uh, if if Cam Reddish plays in this game, and mm-hmm. and if so, um, how the defensive matchups work for Duke against uh, against Michigan State's perimeter guys. Hey, yeah. Hey, final final comment on Michigan State. Um, we got to talk about the coaches for a second. Uh, Coach K owns advantage advantage Duke. Yes, <laughs> Coach K <laughs> owns <laughs> owns Thomas. Isn't it? I think it's his record is thirteen and one. I think that's something it. Like that, it's something. It's something like that. I mean, so the absolutely... 2005, the 2005 Sweet 16 is the only loss that Coach K has against Tom Izzo. Yeah, he owns Tom Izzo. You know, it's in Tom Izzo's head. You know, Michigan State. I mean, all those guys, even if they haven't lost to Duke, if they've been there for more than one year, they have. But even if they haven't lost to Duke, they they know that Duke owns Michigan State. It's sort of one of the storylines of the NCAA and uh, all of college basketball in recent years. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, because we're in the elite, uh, the elite eight coach K is now coaching in his 16th, his 16th career elite eight. He has broken the tie. That is the most by any coach in NCAA basketball history. He was in a tie with Dean Smith with 15. Now coach K has 16. And that is a great way to end this episode of the Duke basketball report podcast. I know we normally do, uh, parting shots and player of the week, but we'll save that for after tomorrow's game against uh, Michigan State. That game is going to be at approximately 5.05 East Coast time on CBS. So if you are not here in D.C., uh, Sam, I will see you tomorrow at the game. Uh, Jason, uh, look for us on TV, or at least look for Sam. I'm, I'm going to be up at the, at the top of the catwalk uh, in the building, but we will both be there. We will come to you after that game is done sometime on Sunday evening. Uh, once we can get situated and kind of break down what 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 all happens tomorrow. So until then, for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald here in D.C. Let's go Duke. We're in the Elite Eight. Duke Band, play us there.